Good morning. This is John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Aaron. Well, we're in this <clears throat> season of Epiphany, which is the time in the church calendar where the church has traditionally set aside some time to reflect on and to celebrate the fact that Jesus is revealed as uh, a Savior. And so to help us do that, what we're doing is we're looking at these questions that Jesus asks, because uh, that's what questions so often do, is they get you to think about things in a new way. They get you to see and to ponder and to discover who Jesus is. And so last week we looked at this question where he asks, who do you say that I am? Which of course is a, uh, a question about his identity. And this morning we're going to look at this question he asks there, and you see it in verse 12. He says, do you understand what I have done to you? Which is a question about his work. He wants his disciples, he wants us to pause and to consider, have we really wrapped our minds around and worked out all the implications of what he's done? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to try to consider that and pause and consider that. And to, to do that, we're going to ask two questions of our own. And these are, uh, what has Jesus done and what does it matter? So that's what we're going to try to do this morning. What has Jesus done what does it matter? So let's start with the first one. What has Jesus done? What's he referring to in this story? Well, uh, it's pretty simple. He's referring to the fact that he washed his disciples' feet. 
they're, they're having dinner, and you see in verse uh, 4 and 5, he, he gets up from the table. He, he takes off his outer garment. He, he fills up a little basin, a little bowl with some water, and he starts to wash their feet. And then towards the end of the story, verse 12, he asks, okay, do you understand what just happened? Do you understand what I just did for you? Which is a little uh, puzzling because you think, okay, this is a pretty straightforward thing. Does that really warrant a follow-up question about under... It doesn't seem like it's that hard to understand. It's not like it's trigonometry or something. He, he, it's, pretty, it's pretty simple. And yet, as we're going to see, this thing is... is um, this simple act is loaded with meaning and with, uh, with profundity. And so uh, let's, let's try to unpack it in, in two ways. I want you to see first uh, what Jesus washes, and then secondly, that Jesus washes. So first, what is so special about the fact that Jesus is washing feet? Um, like I said, they're at the dinner table. They're at, uh, this is the Last Supper, and we've all seen the Da Vinci painting where his disciples are all sitting upright along this big farm table all on one side of the table so that you can see them all, um, which is a lovely painting, but it's culturally very inaccurate uh, because for Jesus and his disciples, they would not have been sitting at a, you know, English-style farm table. They, they would have sat on a, on, a, on a table that's shaped like a U that would actually have been pretty low to the ground, just a few inches off the ground. And the way that people uh, ate in this particular context, they would have leaned on their left side and, and uh, eaten with their right hand, with their legs and their, and their feet away from the table, which was, you know, it, it makes sense why their feet would be away from the food because feet were nasty then and feet are nasty now. I mean, if you think about, um, it, it, and this, so this is in a context where uh, people are walking around on unpaved dirt roads and they're, they're either bare feet, barefoot, or, um, or, or they don't, you know, they have open-toed shoes. They have sandals or, you know, picture chacos or something. And so you, you can imagine the amount of dust and dirt and mud that kind of gets caked onto your, onto your actual foot. But then you have to also remember this is a society in which human beings are coexisting with animals, large animals. So you're walking along the street, and not only are you walking through dirt or mud or whatever, you're also walking through goat urine or camel feces, or llama vomit, or, you know, whatever else. And so, um, feet were nasty. And, if you think about it, feet are, are um, incredibly sensitive. Feet are incredibly uh, vulnerable. I was watching uh, a YouTube reel this past week, just, you know, scrolling through them all, and I came across this one video, maybe you've seen it, of these two guys that were playing soccer outside on, on concrete, bare, bare feet. And you think, that sounds painful, playing without any shoes on. But it got worse. They uh, exchanged the soccer ball with a bowling ball. So they're kicking, some of y'all have seen this, I'll see the faces lighten up, I know what you're talking about. And so they're kicking a soccer, a, a bowling ball without shoes on. And to make it even worse, they had thrown hundreds, thousands of individual Legos all over the, um, all over the you know, field that they're playing on, the concrete little spot that they're playing on. If you've ever stepped on a Lego without shoes on, even one, 
it's not a great moment for you. And so here they are, and you're watching this video, and you're like, what, what, are, what are we doing as a society? Why is this a thing? They're grimacing, they're wincing, they're playing. It was, it was terrible. And you watch it, and you're just like, because your feet are so sensitive. You, f- you felt the pain of them running around doing this. I mean, if you've ever gotten up in the middle of the night to use the restroom, and you stub a toe, you're not going back to sleep. Like, that's, that's, it's game over for you. Your feet are so, are so sensitive. And so here's Jesus, and he's washing uh, this really disgusting part of us and this really sensitive part of us. But what he's washing isn't nearly as profound as the fact that he's washing them. Meaning, he's the one that's, the fact that Jesus is the one doing it. Because... Because this was uh, because feet were so gross in this particular cultural context, um, there had this uh, there was this custom that had developed that when you would go over to someone else's house, you would usually wash the other person's feet. It was a form of hospitality. It was just sort of a, a hospi- hospitable custom. Uh, but because it was such a filthy task, uh, the person who washed those feet was usually slaves. It was usually someone who, was, who had low social status. It was somebody kind of at the bottom of the, of the ladder, as it were. And so here is Jesus, who is their king, who's their lord, who's their master, and, and he's doing this humiliating, degrading task. It's, it's offensive. It's confusing. They don't understand wh- what he's doing. I've, I've tried over the years to think about how to translate this into our cultural our, our kind of modern cultural context so you feel the, the weight of what's going on here. And I don't know if there's a way to really make it pop, but, but this, is, um, this is the best I can do, is if you picture a, uh, a, a frat house on a Saturday morning after a big party that was thrown there the night before. So you can picture um, uh, empty, you know, red Solo cups everywhere, empty beer cans everywhere, you see, you know, stains and vomit and um, people passed out on couches and heroin needles, uh, uh, you know, around and um, <laughs> whatever, whatever, you know, it's, 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 it's that scene. And so you walk in that Saturday morning, you open the door and the smell hits you like a wall of just, it smells like sweat, college male smells like um, beer and vomit. You're already like, I need a shower, just, just opening the door. And you walk into this frat house, and you look over, and there's somebody on their hands and knees scrubbing the vomit out of the carpet, and it's John Morant in all of his grisly glory, wearing his ice, wearing his new jaw ones, and you would be confused on multiple levels, um, if you saw this, but 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 th- that's my best to attempt to try to like translate what's going on here. Here is Jesus in all of his eternal glory, the King and the Creator of the universe, and he and he's scrubbing vomit out of the carpet, as it were. He's 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 wiping the yuck and the grime out from between the toes of his disciples. You're like, what are you what are you doing? Why is he doing this? Well, go back to the beginning. Look at verse 1. It, it essentially shows you. It says this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
Jesus knows this is the night before his death, and he wants to show his disciples the full extent of his love. When it says he loved them to the end, it doesn't just mean chronologically, like he just loved them right up until the end of his life. It means utterly, to love, to love somebody to the utmost. He wants to show them the full extent of his love. And so to do this, what does he do? He says, I'm gonna, I am willing to take on the form of a slave, to humiliate myself, to degrade myself so that I can meet you in love at the place where you are the dirtiest in the place where you're the most vulnerable. That's what he's doing. He's saying, out of love for you, I want you to see that I am willing to get this low, to take on the form of a servant, take on the form of a slave, to, to, to degrade myself, humiliate myself, to meet you in the very place where you're the, where you're, where you're the dirtiest and where you're the most sensitive. I mean, if you think about washing, washing as an act is loaded with meaning because, because to wash somebody... Yes, it makes you physically clean. In fact, that's what he says in verse 10. He says, now that I've washed you, you are clean. But, but he means more than just physically clean. He, he's, he's showing that this is what he's actually come to do. Not just to wash the dirt off your feet, but to remove the filth from your soul. To cleanse you from the inside so that we would be cleansed, forgiven. That the guilt would come off of us. But if you think about washing something... Grime, filth, dirt, it doesn't just magically disappear when you clean it. It gets on the thing that's being used to clean it. The yuck and the filth from the disciples' feet doesn't just magically go away. It gets on to Jesus. I mean, a napkin is going to get really messy if it's going to wipe all the spaghetti sauce off of your face, right? So if you, if you step back and you put all of this together... Here's what's going on in this moment that seems so simple. But here you have Jesus, and he says, I am willing to get filthy in order to cleanse you. I'm willing to humiliate myself in order to exalt you. I'm willing to tenderly engage you at the place where you feel the most vulnerable, the most sensitive. And so, and so you think about this moment. That's why he's asking this question. Do you understand what I've done for you. Do you understand what I'm doing for you? This is not just like a cool favor, just like giving the disciples a back rub or something. This is representing the full extent of his love and what he has come to do. I've come to get filthy in order to cleanse you. I've come to humiliate myself in order to exalt you. That's how much I love you. Now, you can hear all that and say, got it. Okay. Here's another sermon that basically just says... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So what? Why does this matter? What is the actual implication of this? And so I think that's part of what's going on with this question is Jesus is not saying, do you understand this? Not just at a cognitive level, but are, have you worked out the implications of what this actually means? So let's do that. Let's, let's talk about this secondly. What does it matter that Jesus loves us like this. And there's, there's so many implications we could draw from this passage. I just want to give you two. And here's the first implication, that the love of Jesus, it must be received. It must be received. As Jesus is washing these guys' feet and he's going around the table one by one, when it gets to Peter, the tape slows down and it kind of zooms in and you have this 
really interesting interaction between uh, Peter and Jesus. Look at what Peter says in verse 6. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? Meaning, I'm really uncomfortable with this. I'm really, I'm, I don't like this idea. You, you are my, you're my king. You're my master. You should not touch my feet. Jesus, you do not know how gross my feet are. There's bunions down there. We got weird fungus situation. I got the long, weird toenail that cuts my leg when I sleep at night. You don't, you don't want to go there. And um, look at what um, Jesus says in verse 7. Because, you know, it, from Peter's vantage point, it sounds really humble, right? It sounds pious. Jesus, I am uh, going to rescue you from feeling like you need to do this. Here's what Jesus says in verse 7. What I am doing... You do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. After what? What's he talking about? He's talking about after his death and his resurrection. He's saying to Peter, look, um, the full extent of my love for you is not that I've humbled myself to wash your feet. The real full extent of my love is that I've humbled myself to die on a cross, in other words, here's what, it's kind of like here's what he's saying to Peter. If you, think, if you think this is humiliating, you have not seen anything yet. Because tomorrow, I'm not just going to remove my outer garment. I am going to be stripped completely naked. Tomorrow, I'm not going to be um, humiliated in front of just 12 of my closest friends at a private dinner party. I'm going to be humiliated in front of the entire world. So much so, I'm going to be lifted naked, suffering up on a cross, and there's going to be a group of people that are going to see it, and they're going to talk about it. They're going to write about it. They're going to tell it to the next generation. The next generation is going to tell it to the next generation. That's going to spread, and it's going to spread so much, so much so that in in 2,000 years from now, there's going to be a group of people in Memphis, Tennessee, talking about my humiliation. That's how much I've come to be humiliated. Peter, I have not come just to pour out some water to clean the dirt off of your feet. I have come to pour out my very blood to clean the sin off of your soul. That's the full extent of this. But here's, of course, at this point in the story, Peter doesn't get any of this. He doesn't understand what Jesus is referring to. And so he doubles down. Look at verse 8. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus, get your hands off of me. Here is somebody who is refusing the love of Jesus. Here is somebody who who will not receive the love of Jesus on Jesus' terms. And you, you hear this and you think about this, and it makes you ask the question about yourself, am I the kind of person that can receive because on the surface, that sounds like a pretty simple question. You think, well, uh, I'm actually great at receiving. I had a wonderful Christmas. It was, uh, it's kind of my forte. I love to, I love to receive. But receiving is, um, it, it's, it's so much more challenging than you think about, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you stop and think about it. Think about how, um, think about whether you can receive compliments. Have you ever noticed people in general do not know how to receive compliments. You compliment somebody and they get really squirrely. And uh, people get weird. They're like, uh, you're great. Nah, you're, uh, it was nothing. You know, like pe- people don't know how to just receive the compliment. Or think about how we receive favors from one another. 
Um, you're at lunch or you're at dinner with somebody and the check comes and the person that you're with offers to pay the bill. I got you. And there's this instinct in you that says, whoa, no, 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 no. Like, let's at least split it. Let's at least split it. And then when the other person, you know, you have this tug of war, which I get, we're Southern and we're nice and we're trying to be polite and you don't want to just presume that the other person's just there to foot the bill for you. But once you lose the tug of war battle and the other person insists, there's this thing in you that says, well, uh, I got you next time. We've got to settle the score. It's uncomfortable to just receive, isn't it? I mean, think about, um, we, we all know this person. There's, there's a certain kind of person, this may be you, that um, takes care of everybody else's needs around them. They give and they serve and they help and they, in every conversation they make it about you and they ask you all of the questions. They're, they're just like this workhorse of service and kindness and they're just giving themselves away and giving themselves away. But the moment you try to serve them, they won't let you. The moment you ask them a question, it's like uh, they don't want to go there. And regardless, all of these situations makes us ask ourselves this devastating question that if we cannot receive charity from other people, what makes us think we've received it from God? If we cannot receive kindness from human beings, why do we think it's so easy just to receive kindness from God? Rankin Wilburn was this, uh, he was a pastor out in L.A., and uh, a number of years ago, I heard him speak at this conference on this passage, and so I got a lot of help from him about this uh, passage, but he said something during that sermon that I've never really been able to forget, uh, but here's what he said. I'm just going to give you kind of a, a paraphrase, uh, paraphrase quote from what he said, but he, he said this, people often say it's the love of God that changes your life. Technically speaking, that's not true because God loves every person in this room. Each one of us is tenderly loved by God, but what is sadly obvious is not everyone's life is changed by this fact. Why is that? It's not the love of God in itself that changes us. Otherwise, we'd all be changed. It's receiving the love of God that changes us. I mean, isn't that helpful? That was so clarifying for me because this helps explain why it's possible to hear a thousand sermons about the love of God and it just kind of bounce right off of you. It's just like rain hitting a rock. It's because we have to actually open ourselves up to receive it. It's one thing to look at a glass of water and to know that will quench my thirst. It's a very different thing to actually pick up the glass of water and drink it. That's what faith is, by the way. Faith is I'm, gonna, I'm going to receive, I'm going to open myself up and take in this thing that's being offered to me. It doesn't mean like I have all the answers. It doesn't mean like I've got it all figured out, but it means I'm opening up myself to actually receive it. That's what, that's what Jesus is actually tells Peter next. If you look at verse 8, he says, If I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. He's basically saying, I must 
do this for you and you must let me. I am the giver and you are the receiver. That is the arrangement of this relationship. I have to love you on my terms and if you refuse to receive it on my terms, we don't have a relationship. I must do this for you and if you won't let me, then I have no share with you. You have no share with me. That's how this relationship works. And that's the moment when Peter kind of finally gets it. And so look at what he says in verse 9. Okay, not just my feet then, but all of me. Wash my hands, wash my head. He just, he surrenders to it. He gives himself over to it completely. If this is the way that it has to be in order for me to be in contact with you, I'm here for it. Here's the question for you. Are you willing to give yourself over to this? Are you willing to receive the love of Jesus? I don't mean have the, have the data in your head that it's true. This is something very different. I don't mean being inspired by like a sentimental Bible story. I mean acknowledging, being open to acknowledging the fact that the Lord of the universe knows your name and that he knows your particular story and the particular wounds and bruises in your soul and where you're the most vulnerable, where you're the most sensitive, and all of that doesn't change the fact that he was willing to desecrate himself for you, that he was willing to humiliate himself for you. He was willing to pour out his very blood in order to wash you and to cleanse you. And like I said, that doesn't mean having all the answers. You might still have a million questions, a million objections, a million concerns about this whole story, but it's you beginning to open up and realize, okay, maybe it's true that I am loved to an infinite degree beyond what I thought. The love of Jesus must actually be received personally by each one of us. That's the first implication of all this. Now, there's a second one here as well, and I didn't give myself a ton of time, so I'm going to, give my, I'm going to be brief on this. But here's the second implication quickly. The love of Jesus must also be reflected. It's not just that it must be received, it must be reflected. And here's, here's where I get that from. Look at verse uh, 14. Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Pretty simple. I don't think Jesus is talking um, about literal foot washing here. I don't think that the, uh, the application of this passage is for us to go set up a booth in Overton Square and wash people's feet as they walk by. I mean, after all, Jesus only did this once. I think what he's talking about here is a way of life. He's saying, if I humbled myself in order to serve you, if that has actually gotten into you, if that's, if that's in your bloodstream now, then you're going to be the kind of person that humbles yourself in order to serve others. And you think, okay, what does that look like? There's a million different forms that that takes. It might look like you being the person that actually washes the microwave at your place of work, the shared microwave that's gross that nobody wants to clean. It might look like you being the person that does the menial task of doing the dishes or of doing the laundry. It might look like you really laboring hard because you know you're not the kind of person that keeps things in your brain well. You're really going to labor hard to remember people's names when you meet them. Or you're the kind of person that says, okay, when my clients come through the office, I'm going to give them the attention and the focus and the care that they deserve. 
or um, I'm going to be really patient with that waiter or that waitress because you know, I, I, when I know that they're overwhelmed, when I know that they're irritated, I'm not going to get put off at the fact that they're you know, you know, doing whatever, shortchanging me by their time or their attention or whatever. It's, it's you being willing to serve other people in small, small ways and even big ways. Maybe it's you thinking creatively of how can I move towards the people in my city that are the most vulnerable, that are the most sensitive, how can I get creative with stewarding my, my privilege and my position or my resources to move towards need and to let need actually cut into my schedule and not just be an inconvenience to me, but actually something I start to pursue? We like that idea. We like the idea of serving. We like the idea of giving ourselves away. But here's the, here's the thrust of this whole passage. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't, the, the love of Jesus cannot be reflected by us until it is first received by us. So the invitation for you this morning is to consider this question. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Not cognitively, not at a cerebral level, but, but have you actually received it? Consider that an invitation for you this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray um, that you would open our hearts up, that you would crack us open so that whatever resistance we have, whatever hesitations we have, we might fall into your kindness and into your love and into your grace for us. It is so easy for there to be this resounding voice in our souls that scream at us that we are unlovable and that we are unlovely. And I pray that the goodness of the gospel would, would break that up at its foundation, that we would begin to see ourselves as not just lovable and lovely, but actually loved by the Lord of the universe, who so loved us that he gave his son for us. I pray that these would not just be words that bounce off of our ears and bounce off of our hearts and then we go about our day as if none of this really actually matters. But I pray that this would get inside of our souls, inside of our hearts, and rearrange everything about our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.